Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Good evening. You are listening to Radio Islam, and I'm your host, Tariq El Amin. For those of you who are new to the Radio Islam family, welcome. We're a live call in talk show broadcasting from Chicago on WCEV 1450 AM. And you can hear our live stream at www.wcev1450.com. Uh, remember, we are now on the TuneIn app, so if you use that, you can catch us there as well. Now, if you haven't already done so, make sure that you are following uh, and liking, keeping up, with, keeping up with us on social media, uh, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Radio Islam USA. That's Radio Islam USA. And if you have a comment or question you would like to pose throughout the course of tonight's show, we'd love to hear from you at 312-750-1178. That is 312-750-1178. And before we, uh, before we get into tonight's uh, show, I want to remind you really quickly, one of the new things that we have instituted uh, in our programming is our book club. And we're beginning our book club off uh, this month with the autobiography of Malcolm X, as told to Alex Haley. Uh, we'll be having an in-studio conversation on that the last Friday of the month. That's January 26th. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, feel free to inbox us, send us an email, uh, and tune in and call in when we have that discussion. It's just two weeks away, so we hope you got your book and your reading. All right, so uh, Radio Islam family, uh, as many of you all know, everybody should know, that today is uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Day. It is a celebration of his life, and there are countless uh, gatherings that are going on, the uh, recollections of what he meant as a leader, as a face of a movement. And we're going to be having a conversation today. Uh, and we've got uh, two really, uh, I think, great voices that are going to allow us to have the conversation. If you saw it on social media, um, we are having a talk today about Dr. King, black male achievement, and inner city violence. Now, most often when we're talking about Dr. King, we're thinking of civil rights. We're thinking of nonviolent resistance, uh, nonviolent protest. But we want to have a, a broader conversation uh, against the backdrop of it being MLK, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Day. So today we have with us in studio, we have Dr. Lance Williams of Northeastern um, Illinois University from the Center of Inner, Inner City Studies. And we also have with us Dr. Lionel Allen Jr. of Urban Prep. And I'm going to tell you just a little bit about both of these individuals really quickly. Uh, uh, Dr. Lance is an associate professor of urban studies, as I said, at Northeastern Illinois. His fields of special interest include the mass media's influence on adolescent behaviors and culture, street organizations, and youth violence. Uh, he is the uh, author of a book titled The Almighty Black Peace Stone Nation, The Rise, Fall, and Resurgence of an American Gang. And Dr. Lionel Allen, he is the Chief Academic Officer of Urban Prep Academies, an organization founded in 2002 with the mission of providing educational opportunities to urban boys leading to their success in college. Uh, they have three campuses, and um, 
well, they've, they've been doing some phenomenal work, but uh, previously Dr. Allen has uh, served as principal of the Sherman School of Excellence um, and the Academy for Urban School Leadership. So I'd like to welcome you both uh, with we, the greeting that we give our guests and, uh, and uh, the Radio Islam family. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you both. All right. Thank you very much. Uh, I want Radio Islam family, I want to let you know um, you did not hear me introduce the impressive one, Ibrahim Baig. Uh, we hope that he is uh, enjoying himself. He is taking a few much needed days. He is in Arizona. If he's listening, stay warm for us. So uh, let me start out our conversation by first, what does. Um, what does the what does Dr. King what does his legacy uh, mean to to either of you whoever wants to jump in first on that? Well, you know, for me, Dr. King's brilliance uh, is 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 centered in his legacy as to me a masterful uh, orator. Um, I'm still impressed with the level of oration and an impact that he's had on the African-American community, but the the global community uh, in general. Mm. I think he follows in the uh, great oral tradition of African people. Uh, I think he had the compassion and the foresight um, and just impressed with the ability, his ability to organize on an international level at such a young age. So I think, I think, you know, in terms of his legacy, um, I, I think that he was a, a shining example of humility. He was an example of, um, of, of high intellect, and he was uh, a, you know, a fighter, a warrior for um, the culture and tradition of black people. Okay. Yeah, I would agree. I, I would say that uh, he was an example of sacrifice, um, and commitment to a cause. Um, he ultimately gave you know, all that he had um, on behalf of a people who needed um, so much at that time to rise above the oppression uh, that they were facing. Um, so to me, he was a fighter. He was a warrior. He was a radical. Um, he was an example of how one person um, can make a difference. And, and really alter the course of, of history. Um, and, it, you know, he uh, has made it easier for all of us to ascend to the levels that we are, are enjoying at this point in our lives, if not for brothers like Martin Luther King and, and all those who fought alongside with him. Um, there is maybe no Radio Islam, right? There is no Urban Prep. There is no Center for Industry. I mean, th- th- we all benefit from, from his legacy and from the, the fight that he um, engaged in. You know, what I find interesting is that, well, number one, that he has a day, which is much deserved, but that in life he was reviled, he was a troublemaker. Um, and this, I think, to a degree, it has some relation to the idea of, of black male achievement uh, in terms of, of acceptance, of, of being... Uh, celebrated or extolled, uh, seen as having something of value. Now, the the time doesn't always work because the the timing was he was celebrated when he could, when he couldn't cause any more trouble. Exactly, it was convenient. 
It was it was a convenient celebration, right? And we've sort of sanitized this legacy. Um, when Dr. King is taught in schools or his the history of that movement, you know, it's it's painted as if uh, you know people were mistreated. They marched all was well, right? And and that's not exactly how <laughs> how the story should be told. Um, he was a radical at one time. He was the, the hated, most hated man in America. The FBI went through great lengths to undermine um, not just him and his reputation, but the movement as a whole. Um, so it's convenient now for people to uh, on Twitter to you know borrow uh, quotes uh, from his speeches and and uh, you know make themselves appear to be supporters of Dr. King. And these same folks are the ones who. Um, you know, were spewing hatred towards Colin Kaepernick, right? Um, it, it's a it's an interesting dynamic there. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. You know, uh, with with Brother Lino and his um, his description. You know, if if you look uh, into the uh, COINTELPRO, you look at these uh, government led um, initiatives led by the FBI, but also here in Chicago, uh, Chicago Police Department. Uh, with the Red Squad, these were law enforcement agencies who uh, literally spied on Dr. King and his organizations and and infiltrated his organization up until his death, Mm -hmm. right? And so when you see um, such um, concern for his so-called radical uh, potential to disrupt the fabric and the governance of American society up until his death, you have to ask the question, uh, because many of those individuals are still in government, are still in um, uh, places of power. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, those types of feelings and, 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 and um, uh, initiatives don't go away in 20 or 40 years. You know, right. so I think one of the things that we have to be hypervigilant about is that those types of forces still exist, and we have to, I think, Dr. King, uh, and as we commemorate his, 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 his anniversary, his birth anniversary, that those forces are still at play and they're still active in, 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 in our lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it also is, is worth mentioning that, uh, that he was, obviously, he was an educated man. Um, I believe he went to Morehouse. Yes. Right. Uh, you know, before getting his um, his uh, doctorate of divinity, um, but education in and of itself it must produce it must produce opposition to oppression. So he almost had, and not just him, but because he represents, he you know he's the the face of of that movement. Um, but there were many people standing with him. But he used, he used his education, he used his ability uh, to orate, you know, th- those those words and this and this ability to to think critically and and see to see the the big problems, see the connections between uh, poor people uh, that we were as a country uh, at war with, and the poor people right here, you know, in the United States. That education produced it, it must produce a radicalism. Uh, what are your thoughts on? the um, the state of, of, of education as a as an agitating force in our uh, in our youth in particular today well um, <clears throat> so I think that there is a, a, a stark difference between um, education and schooling 
right? Schooling is about compliance. Education is about empowerment. Unfortunately, uh, many students of color are being schooled, right? They, they're being taught not to um, appreciate their own brilliance, their own, um, you know, their own value, right? They're, they're taught to, uh, to sort of fit in a box. And uh, if they somehow come outside of that box, um, then they are punished for that. They are disciplined. Uh, you know, they are sometimes expelled from school. They are suspended, et cetera, et cetera. Um, education in this country historically has not uh, benefited African-American folks in mass. Certainly we have some, myself included, who have benefited from going to school and matriculating through um, high school, college, and beyond. Uh, but the masses of black folks, I don't, they don't see themselves in the curriculum. Uh, they don't find uh, comfort um, in schools. And, and they don't find uh, educational environments across the country to be inclusive environments, right? So they uh, remove themselves. And so you have high rates of dropouts. Um, you have um, young people who are not uh, progressing um, through schools successfully and are finding, you know, other ways to try to make a living for themselves. And it's, it's unfortunate to see that, you know, uh, 60 years after Brown versus Board of Education, almost 70 years after Brown versus Board of Education, we still have highly segregated school contexts and we still have students who are receiving um, subpar educations that's not going to provide them with the tools that they need to be successful um, as adults. Yeah, you know, one thing that's very interesting to me about Dr. King, and it seems to be a contradiction uh, to a certain degree, and that is that Dr. King and his brilliance was was a product, and he talked about this, he was a product of the great tradition of black education, an African-American community who educated its own. He comes out of that tradition uh, not only as a... Um, uh, primary and secondary uh, school uh, student who went to schools that were all black, mm -hmm. uh, who went to the historic Morehouse, a private college, you know, that uh, whose mission is to um, to educate, to provide a private education to young African American males. But then, as an activist, as a a freedom fighter for social justice, he spent a lot of time uh, advocating for desegregation and the integration of African Americans into a school system or school systems across the United States of America that were um, responsible for the miseducation of African American students. So uh, to me, I think, and I think if you if you study the 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 final three years of, of Dr. King's life, you will see that he began to question himself yeah. and question uh, had he made the right decisions as it, as it relates to uh, civil rights versus human rights. And he began, began to be a lot more conscious about being um, more of a uh, what we might call ethnocentric, pro-black, as opposed to being a civil rights activist. So I think that if he would have if he would have lived to, I think today would have been his 89th birthday, right. I think you probably would have, have seen a, a transition in his thinking where he moved more towards that tradition, that great black tradition of us educating our own. Yeah, I, th I think he, he referred to it as leading us into a burning house, all right? Like we were fighting so hard to be accepted and to be integrated into 
um, larger society, uh, only to find that not only were we being miseducated in schools, um, but that the the levels of oppression and subjugation that black folks in the North in particular were experiencing in, in some ways had a far greater and deeper impact than even those who were fleeing the, the Jim Crow South. And I think that was one of the things that probably was most eye-opening for him when he made his trek to Chicago and really tried to fight against the restrictive housing covenants and these other sort of systemic racist policies that had become a, a fabric, part of the fabric of, of sort of the northern experience for black folks um, that many black southerners were, were not aware of. Yeah, and he said that he had not experienced uh, hate uh, on, on the same level anywhere in the South that he had when he was here uh, walking through, marching through Marquette Park. He said that Absolutely. was a that was a special kind of hate, um, and, and a lot of that comes with that. A lot of that comes with systems. Uh, when systems are put in place, then individuals don't necessarily have to take the lead on trying to uh, to keep somebody in their place. Uh, and these were these were a part of the traditions, uh, the norms in the South. You know, if you're walking down the street and a, a white person is walking on on the same side, and you got off the sidewalk and you let them walk past, mm-hmm. or you didn't make eye contact, or a, a, a hundred other other different unwritten rules that existed that were replaced by systems which kept people uh, disenfranchised uh, and oppressed. So. But but they they did also come out to, to to let him know how they felt you know as he walked through Market Park. Yeah, I, I think that's one of the reasons why institutional racism or systemic racism and discrimination uh, is such an evil enemy to combat because it, it's difficult to root it out because it's it becomes part of um, the everyday experience. It's, it's you know if you were to survey folks and ask them, hey, you know. Uh, you know, what are your thoughts on uh, those young men that, that were marching in Charlottesville with the tiki torches, right, and, and, and spewing such racial hatred? I think, you know, most Americans would, would say that they don't represent me. As a matter of fact, there was a, a, a Twitter, you know, chain or something that was trending, you know, not my America, this is an America that I know or something along those lines. But the reality is um, that is the America that, that many people know. It just, it just shows itself differently in a different context. So, yes, maybe, you know, we don't don't have people walking down the street with tiki torches but you know if there are two resumes sitting on someone's desk and one person's name is Takesha and the other person's name is is John then Takesha doesn't have a chance to to get that job and why is that and what other types of of policies um are in place right that that affect uh the ability of of African-American people to advance um, within this country, and I think Dr. King was towards the end of his life really starting to uncover uh, some of those things and, and really trying to work and, and unite folks around combating uh, those very issues. And I also think that it is worth mentioning that he took a very deliberate stance on seeing poverty, um, the war on poverty. Poor people's campaign, seeing seeing that as a form, uh, poverty is a form of violence, uh, and when we talk about the same the same conversation that we're having today, where people are still trying to get a living wage, where fifteen dollars as a living wage is is being debated, even as uh, the stock market uh, profits continue to rise, um, what do you? Well, I, I'm interested. I'm interested to think to hear how do you how do you think he would process 
where we are today uh, in light of everything that he particularly uh, the things that he that he campaigned for that he pushed uh, in the the last two three years of his life yeah I, I think he would have so I think during his um, his 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 activism and his public life I think most people would have perceived him or categorized him as as a liberal I think what have, what would have happened if he would have lived uh, is that his 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 ideology would have shifted to more of a conservative kind of um, agenda because I think he would have come to the understanding and we see some of this in his activism and his writing again towards the last three years of his life where he would have placed a lot more emphasis on uh, black self-help you know uh, he talked a lot about um, in the last couple of years of his life he talked a lot about uh, black economic um, boycotts he talked about you know, us spending our money within our community, which you didn't see much of that early in his in his activism. So I think again, he he realized that as as you brothers mentioned so eloquently, that the systemic racism and and oppression was so vast that it was virtually impossible to to change that. He would have gone back to black folks doing for themselves and, and, and being responsible for ourselves. And then I think that would have got him classified more as a, as a conservative uh, in the sense that it's, it's not a liberal kind of um, mindset. So it would have been, you're saying that he would have become more uh, inward looking uh, yeah, in terms of... I think so. Yeah. I think so. Uh, and do you think that would have painted him as the, well, where he went from being celebrated uh, in some circles, because of the integrationist stance, uh, that he would have become looked at as a uh, as a racist or, or a separatist. Do you think they would have gone that far? Absolutely. But you know, it, it, it interesting. I think he would have lost a lot of our people, African Americans, who were his followers when he went to you know in that direction. I think um, because that that um, there there was so much hope in in our people. Uh, towards becoming equal and becoming or their perception of, of, of being equal. I mean, there was so much um, desire to be a part of the mainstream society. I think Dr. King recognized at a certain point that that never was going to happen. Right. Uh, and I think he would have lost some of our people and he would have uh, been given the, 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 the tag of being considered a, a, a racist, so to speak. I always found that uh, funny... Uh, comical even uh, when those types of, of labels were placed on people that were uh, that were protesting their uh, their dehumanization um, and, and and lest we forget even though he is he's lauded for being a civil rights activist uh, but his activism came from a place of self-preservation yes uh, as well mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that uh, much like the, the stance that uh, that Malcolm X took Absolutely. in terms of in terms of uh, presenting this issue, the struggle in, 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 in a human rights framework, yes, uh, he very well may have also gotten to that same. Yeah, point. I think I think you know it's interesting. I think you know Malcolm and and and, and Dr. King um, uh, balanced each other in many ways, and I think what have, what would have happened if they would have both lived at a certain point. I think their uh, 
consciousness and their uh, interest in uh, our, our status in the global community would have converged. Uh, they would have intersected. Uh, and I think they would have pushed together for this, this whole... Um, but actually, you, you, you actually see it in their work where at the end of their lives, they are pushing towards uh, human rights. Right. Uh, to, to, they're looking for the United Nations to become advocates and supporters mm-hmm. of the oppression or to help black folks deal with the oppression here in the United States of America. Yeah. All right. Uh, Radio Islam family, we are, we're having a conversation uh, on this uh, special uh, Dr. King Day. And uh, we have in studio with us, we have Dr. Lance Williams from Northeastern Illinois University, and we have Dr. Lionel Allen, Jr. Uh, from Urban Prep Academies. Is it Academies? Yes, sir. Because it's three. Y'all got three of them. That's correct. All right. And, build, <laughs> and they're building one right now, right? Yes, sir. Okay. <laughs> okay. So uh, what we're going to do is we are going to take a short break. But if you'd like to get in on the conversation, feel free to do so. Give us a call at 312-750-1178. That's 312-750-1178. We'll be right back. Help getting around? I became his driver. Soon enough, it was up to me to be his housekeeper and financial manager, too. When he moved in, I became his cook and even his nurse. But no matter what roles I play... I know I'm still his daughter. We understand the roles you play. So to help, we created aarp.org slash caregiving, where you can connect with experts and other caregivers. Visit aarp.org slash caregiving. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Would your business survive a disaster? Nearly two-thirds of businesses aren't prepared for an emergency, and 40% of businesses that experience a disaster never recover. Make an emergency plan now before it's too late. For a free online tool that helps you develop an emergency plan to keep your business up and running should disaster strike, visit ready.gov forward slash business. Brought to you by the Federal Emergency Management Agency, the American Red Cross, and the Ad Council. Assalamu alaikum. Sound Vision is starting a new initiative to provide crisis intervention to those in need. Through the crisis text line, anyone can text 741-741 and be connected via text to a trained crisis counselor who is there to listen and show empathy. The crisis text line is open to everyone. By texting the keyword SALAM, that's S-A-L-A-M, to 741-741, users will be connected to a trained Muslim counselor whenever available. You can also volunteer to undergo training and become a counselor. For more information, visit soundvision.com. www.wcev1450.com That's www.wcev1450.com We're going to pick up our conversation. Uh, As we said, if you'd like to give us a call, feel free to do so at 312-750-1178. We have with us in studio doctors, plural, Lionel Allen and Lance Williams. And we are talking on this Dr. King Day, um, just reflecting on his legacy and just taking a look at 
uh, not just what might have been, but what is. Uh, I'm going to open up this section. Uh, and Radio Islam family, like I told you all earlier, we don't have uh, the impressive one, uh, Ibrahim Beg in studio with us tonight. So I am on the boards as well. So if you sounds like I'm fumbling, it's it's because actually I am. <laughs> I'm I'm actually fumbling. Um, but uh, that being said, uh, I want to open up with this. Uh, it's been joked about, uh, but I don't really see. It's not really funny, right? It's not funny. The fact that anywhere in the United States that you go, where you find Martin Luther King Jr. Drive, you will often find it. Uh, you will you will find poverty, uh, and if not poverty, well, poverty and violence uh, seems to be uh, the the things that go right along with that. Um, what do you think? Or how do you think, uh, if he were still here, if he if his life had been prolonged, what do you think would have been the impact uh, of his of his leadership of his voice? Um, and and that's not really to get into a savior complex, right? Mm-hmm. I think, but uh, how do you think he would have addressed some of these uh, these issues? You know, I, I think the conditions that uh, that existed during the time of Dr. King's um, early fight for social justice and civil rights and human rights for uh, for black people, those conditions still exist today. Mm-hmm. And I think that, um, you know, it's hard to say what would have happened if he would have continued to live. I'm of the belief that uh, the, 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 the intensity, the degree, the magnitude of uh, systemic, you know, racism, institutionalized racism was so vast that not even the leadership of, of, of men and women like Dr. King could have done much to change that, especially if we continue to try to work within the framework or the context of mainstream society. I think the only way to move out of that space and those conditions is for black people to begin to control the institutions, the political institutions, the financial institutions, uh, the media institutions with, within our communities. I think Dr. King could have been an advocate for that, uh, an activist, so to speak, but that is not going to, you know, advocacy and fighting for social justice won't change those conditions. You know, you have to begin to build institutions. Um, I think he probably would have learned some of those things from the nation. He would have learned some of those things from Malcolm. Uh, but ultimately, you know, Dr. King was fighting for those individuals. So th- those conditions that that uh, lead to the violence that you're talking about and the reason that when you go to urban cities and urban centers and you see King drive, those were the people that he fought for, mm-hmm. right? And so I think it makes sense that you'll see those conditions um, uh pretty much the same today as they were in the in in the in the sixties and early seventies. Yeah. Um, it's a sad irony um that a man who fought so hard gave his life for for economic and, and social justice and equity, um, you know, his his sort of legacy um can be found in those neighborhoods. When you look at the, the streets that are named in his honor, um are in neighborhoods that have been, you know, disinvested from, have been struggling with with poverty and high rates of crime and 
broken families and a lack of social service. I mean, it, it's an unfortunate reality that we deal with. But I agree with, with Brother Lance. I think as as we witnessed towards the end of his life, um, there was an evolution in his philosophy, his evolution in his sense of activism. And I think that he would have become very frustrated with trying to evoke change within the confines or the constraints of the system. And I think he would have become maybe even more radicalized and, and realized that we had to step outside of the system. It goes back to this idea of doing for self, right? How do we uh, empower economically and politically these neighborhoods and these people that have been disfranchised from for mainstream society, and I think the only way to do that is through control of our neighbors, control of our businesses, controlling of our schools. Um, and I think in some ways that's still needed. In many ways it's still needed across the United States. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. There's a push, uh, and I guess there's a pull when we talk about kind of the messianic uh, models of, of leadership, uh, charismatic, uh, you know, well-spoken. Well spoken. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think that we're still at a point where we're missing – we're missing the point, not just as African Americans, but as as people in general who are uh, who are victims of, of uh, systems that keep people underfoot. Uh, where we look to charismatic leadership, we look to individuals to address systemic problems instead of, I think, as you just mentioned, uh, Brother Lance, the idea of creating institutions, creating systems that counter. Uh, those oppressive forces. Are we still at a point where we're looking for individuals, or, or do you think we, we've we've started to grasp on this idea of, of thinking larger? Yeah, no, I don't think we have, and I think that's intentional. And and you know, it's interesting. I think you know a lot. I think the polite conversation around Dr. King is his greatness, and you know the respect that we have for him and the contribution and ultimate sacrifice that he's made for Black people and all people. The reality is that if you you have conversations with people who lived during a time who actually uh, were involved in the civil rights and the black power movements during the time of Dr. King, you the, he he received a great deal of criticism for maybe having an ego driven form of 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 leadership. Like so, ultimately. What we know of Dr. King as being a leader, a lot of people will tell you from that era was that he was a leader that was given to us, that he was actually created by the media as the leader, that he was put in front of the movement uh, where there were individuals who were actually uh, involved in the fight for freedom and justice for uh, for black people that did it in a collective kind of way, Mm -hmm. right? And which is the way that you have to do it in That's order right. to, to really affect and impact change. That there is no one individual that can lead you, but it's got to be a group effort. And that those group efforts actually happen. You know, uh, like when you, you talk about the March on Washington, when you talk about people who were the organizers of that march, they will tell you that Dr. King really didn't have much to do with that. But what happened was he was given a platform uh, uh, that the media picked up on that there were a lot of speakers during that day, but it was his speech, mm-hmm. and the, although it was a great speech, right. sure. it was it was that speech that was kind of highlighted, and you you know you kind of everything else was drowned out. So I'm 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 I'm, I'm ultimately saying that um, yes, that 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 uh, messianic, you know, top down leadership kind of model is not a healthy model for us. 
but it was a model that the mainstream media picked up on and and needed to have a spokesperson for black people and that was a person that got the attention and that's who we gravitated towards unfortunately so so this idea that black folks need some sort of charismatic leader to to lead us to the promised land i think is is problematic on many levels mm-hmm. i think we have to look at leadership as uh, a collective or organizational property as opposed to uh, something that sits within the hands of one individual person. I think history teaches us that that doesn't work, right? Uh, I mean, Chris Rock had this whole bit, you know, who is the black leader, right? Mm-hmm. Like, who is, who's the person that's going to lead us? And and I, I think he was sort of poking fun at that very idea, like that one person is going to be the person that's going to take us where we need to, need to go. I, I think that, as I mentioned before, when we talk about, you know, the, the the history of the civil rights movement, I think what happens is is that bits and pieces of it have been sort of extracted and a different picture has been painted out of comfort and convenience. So we rather talk about the I have a dream speech and talk about, you know, white folks and black folks holding hands you know, at the March on Washington than to talk about some of the more radical things that were taking place during that time period and the sacrifices that people who really are still nameless, right, folks that we don't know about, the sacrifices they ultimately made to really help take the movement in the direction that it needed to go in to achieve what we achieved at that particular time. I think today we need more of that. You know, for someone to, to believe that Dr. King wouldn't be part of the Black Lives Matter movement right now, you, you're fooling yourself. Yeah. He absolutely would have been part of that, and I think he would have been trying to champion that movement and movements like it today um, because I think he had begun to recognize as well that it's going to take collective action, right? And me giving speeches or being this great orator is great, but ultimately it's not enough to, to root out the systemic you know, institutional racism that, that so many folks were, were dealing with. And, and, and let me say this, too. I think, I think um, so that whole messianic top-down approach is something that is anti-African and anti-black folk. Yes. Uh, so you, it, I think one of the things that we have to keep in mind when we think about Dr. King, we think about Malcolm, but Dr. King, since this is his day, mm-hmm. um, he was 26 years old when he took you know, uh, when he when he took over um, the right, 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 right. He he became uh, kind of the, the the face of that movement uh, as early as 26 years old, and of course he was assassinated at 39 years of age. He was a young mm-hmm. man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think if he would have lived much longer, uh, carrying uh, on that tradition and that form of leadership black people would have began to resent him much in the same way you know we have and you see reverend jackson today it's kind of like come on man you know <laughs> i mean you got to be in front of everything mm-hmm. you know what i mean and i think it would have been resentment over if he would have maintained that type of um leadership style yeah. Yeah. um well that's interesting because one of the one of the folks that was uh, instrumental uh, at the outset of, of his coming into leadership that was on the ground doing their work as well was uh, A. Philip Randolph. Yes. Mm-hmm. And the work that he did with the... Uh, the um, Pullman's Pullman Porters. Porters. Pullman yeah. Porters, yeah. Uh, that was, what, that was, to me, that was an exemplary model of, of collective action. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's the same type of collective action that all the advancements that we have in the United States, that the, that the, working, uh, that the working public that we have, that it was created through. So, um, 
when we stepped away from that idea and we started just focusing on the fate of one individual, uh, not to say that as individuals we don't have value, not important, absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely not, but being able to, as a matter of fact, I got a poem I wrote about this. I'm mm. not about to do it right now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Want to hit? Here you go. No. no. Uh, but, um, but it says, you know, that we, we continue, uh, we place our faith in the hopes of one man and or woman. And each time we do this, we end up at the same space, waiting. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think it... Uh I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I am a conspiracy theorist, right? So I think that that's sort of done by design. Yes, I agree. Right? Me too. If you can sort of trick a people into believing that the the answer to improvement in their lives is going to come from some superhero Mm -hmm. or messianic figure, then it lulls them to sleep. Mm-hmm. Right, so I'm just gonna be I'm gonna become a pacifist. I'm just gonna wait, and I take I don't take action. I don't I don't try to um, come together in my community, in my neighborhood, on my block, right, and organize and take direct action towards the ills that are impacting my daily life. I'd rather sit back because I'm not educated enough. I don't have a strong enough resume, so I'm gonna re- you know wait for the the chosen one to come and lead us to glory. And I think that that, that has, in many ways, uh, uh, stifled our progress as a people because we are waiting for the next black leader, right? We are waiting for that next person to come that's handsome and, and, and wears nice suits and is, is well-spoken. Um, and we sit back and sort of wait for that person to come, and, and that person's not coming. Mm-hmm. So that means change is not going to come. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I think, you know, you mentioned the Black Lives Matter movement earlier. I think it's the spirit of that movement that gives us hope because that's a movement that was a collective grassroots movement. Uh, And I think if you go back and you look at the early form of the forms of the civil rights movement and the black power movement, they started similarly where uh, young people uh, work with uh, their elders to bring about, you know, a fight for social justice and uh, not, not, we 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 were not <clears throat> initially fighting for integration. We were we were fighting for access to to our share of the resources, right. you know. And at a certain point, I think we decided that the way to get these resources was to integrate with white people. Right. But we found out that that was not going to work because you know we didn't, we haven't talked a lot about schools because it's interesting when you talk about Dr. King. Uh, Martin Luther King Drive being um, places of dysfunction in our community. You know, when you think about high schools as well that are named after Dr. King, don't follow in the scholarly, in many cases, uh, tradition and academic tradition that he would probably have been proud of. Um, uh, And I'm not saying that about all of the schools that are named uh, in his honor, but too many of them uh, around the country. And so I think, you know, ultimately... What, 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 what is is going to happen is that you know the grassroots will organize and will lift themselves up, um, and we saw some of that you know uh, here in Chicago 
uh, around the Laquan McDonald shooting when that forces the young people began to organize themselves. And then here comes the mainstream black leadership that tries to get in front of the movement. And, you know, Dr. King was accused of, of doing that, you know, sometimes, um, sometimes not when he was invited to be. A, but, you know, there were sometimes when people felt like in a march on Washington was one of those events where he was accused of getting in front of it. Uh, and so we saw here in Chicago when some of our, a few of our mainstream leaders tried to get in front of a grassroots movement and they physically got moved and pushed aside. <laughs> and I think that, you know, hopefully we've learned lessons from the past and uh, we won't let that happen again. Yeah. yeah. And you, you bring up schools and it, I just find it interesting, you know, you brought up A. Philip Randolph earlier, you know. Yeah. How many young people have ever heard the name A. Philip Randolph? That's right. You no. Know, how many young people have heard of John Lewis? Mm -hmm. you know, prior to his, you know, the, the back and Tip forth with, with Trump, Trump right? Right. Um, so many heroes and sheroes yeah. have been omitted, you know, from this story. And again, again, I think that's done by design. I, mm -hmm. I think because when you start, when you learn as a as a young person um, that I don't have to have a, a doctorate in divinity, or I don't have to be a great orator to be a leader, mm -hmm. right. right, or to work to improve my community. When you, when that sort of that seed has been planted in you when you're young, that look, there's greatness in you. You are a leader. That, that would change the dynamic. But instead, what we have often done, and schools are really guilty of this, uh, is, again, telling only part of the story, right? So, you know, everybody else, you know, you read about Dr. King's speech and then all the other kind of stories about the movement are either totally omitted or they're on the blue pages of the, the textbook that your teacher tells you you don't really need to pay attention to that, right? right? Mm -hmm. So they have sort of chosen certain figures that are more palatable to them to amplify, right, mm -hmm. and amplify their, their influence and impact, whereas everybody else was sort of forgotten about. And I think there's a real danger to that. So we as a community have to work to make sure that we uplift the names of those that are for many years and even until today have, have been nameless. And I think it's also important to look at the why. Um, what drove uh, these people, these men and women, to risk, to risk their lives? Uh, to risk the lives of their families, mm -hmm. uh, to step out and to call for a change that was not yet in existence. And it's difficult sometimes to, to be in a position where, we're, where you critique the past mm -hmm. uh, because now we do it from the, from the, from the privilege uh, that, that they have paid for. Mm -hmm. um, and, and in saying that, the idea of, because uh, we're still, I think st education is still embedded in this. Uh, and education not to be confused with the, the formality of academia, That's right. but education as a means for, uh, for managing one's life, for, for correcting problems. Um, I feel that we don't have an education, uh, we don't have education that is reaching uh, the, the young men. And I, I mentioned the young men in particular because these are the ones who are being shot and killed on, on the streets. Uh, of Chicago and other major urban uh, centers around the country. Uh, they are the ones who are disproportionately filling up uh, the prisons and jails of the United States. Uh, so there's an educational uh, component or a uh, there is there's a transformation or an introduction that has not yet taken place mm -hmm. that allows them to have a sense of agency. Mm -hmm. And that's so when I talk about the why, you know, what pushed 
uh, Dr. King, what pushed A. Philip Randolph, what pushed Medgar Evers and Ida B. Wells and all these other people, what pushed them to do what they did? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to stop right there. I, I see yeah, no, I think, I think what pushed them... And it's not was, pushing our, our, our young people today. Yeah, well, I, I, no, I think what pushed them mm-hmm. uh, was the people. You know, th- these were not individuals who created movements. They became part of movements that existed prior to their, their leadership. They were given the ability to, because of natural gifts that they had, to be spokesmen and spokeswomen for movements that were created by the people. The difference, and, and it's not much difference um, from you know those times of, of Dr. King and what's going on today. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't see it far-fetched for us to be in that same space that we were in in the '60s within the next five or ten years or so, where you may have it depends on how we, you know, we we handle ourselves. But uh, I think you know it is a natural um, desire for people to be free. I think people uh, are going to resist naturally resist oppression. They may not resist it um, in a sustained way where it's just constant. You know, you'll have peaks and valleys. And so, you know, after the 60s, you know, there was a there was a peak in the 50s and mm-hmm. 60s of resistance. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we had a valley. And then in addition to it, you know, uh, one of the things that Dr. King didn't have to deal with was the intentional suppression of people by the inundation of drugs and and, and, and guns, you know, that actually suppress people that keep us in that valley. But it's, it's a period of time when we're going to come out of that. And I think we're, 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 we're experience, experiencing some of that now where we're going to hit another peak. Uh, and and, and what will happen is because it's a cultural, popular cultural movement, the youth will become a part of it. Right. Just like, just like I mean, one of the things that Natalie and I talk about in a book that we wrote, I mean, when the gangbangers become a part of that movement, they're the most marginalized in the community because it was a collective cultural movement. And you're going to see the same thing happening today. They'll get involved when once the movement ramps up and becomes more intense. They'll get involved with it as well. Yeah, and, and I would say, you know, I'm often tickled by folks who are surprised that uh, there is an achievement gap or are surprised that there are high rates of, of dropouts and exposures. Mm-hmm. I mean, this system is designed, it, it's obtaining the results that it was designed to obtain. Mm-hmm. Right? Somebody has to fail. Right? There are people who are profiting off the failure of schools mm-hmm. and the incarceration of black men as a result of that. So none of this is surprising to me because we have not yet had the political will or the courage to change or modify the system. Right? We, we point to examples of individuals and individual schools that are having success within the system, and we say, look, the system works. Right. And the reality is for every urban prep or for every, you know, Lance Williams that's come through the system and has excelled to the highest, you know, levels of academia, there's, you know, thousands that, that did not, mm-hmm. right, as a result mm-hmm. of that. So we got to be careful in sort of how we contextualize and celebrate the successes that we do have because it shifts our attention away from what really needs to be focused on, which is our schools are still struggling. Mm-hmm. And our schools are still miseducating students. So you mentioned what's different about these young folk today that, you know, different from Dr. King. Well, even though the schools were segregated, right, in the, in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, they were teaching these young folks to be prideful of where they came from. 
and they were they were sowing seeds in them to give them a sense of confidence, and that's not happening mm-hmm. in large part today. Our, you know, our students have to uh, sort of uh, subtract their own identity sometimes to be successful. They have to assimilate, mm-hmm. and, and right, in order to be successful within schools, and that's that's one of the unintended consequences, I believe, of the integration of, of schools. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that just brought to mind, I was just listening to, I can't remember the um, uh, the young lady's name, but she was a product of the public school system in, I think, in New York. Uh, she's gone on to, uh, to get her doctorate, and, and, and she teaches now, but she talked about this feeling of, uh, of displacement. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she, she recalled a student, a teacher, as a matter of fact, uh, correct her in, correcting her in front of mm-hmm. her peers. Mm-hmm her pronunciation of the word ask, mm. right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, a lot of times we come up, we say, ask. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. 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 She's yeah. like, yeah. no, right. no, it's ask, ask king. Right? <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, and so, and this is actually going to put us into another conversation that we're not going to really have time to get into right. now, right. but that is, you know, cultural relevancy, cultural competency, um, you know, of, of, of educators, um, and, and keeping in mind that the students that you are, you're dealing with and what's the desired outcome, mm-hmm. which I think you so just just massively put a bow on, um, that the system is doing exactly what it's supposed to do. Mm-hmm. So on this day, uh, we, we got like a, a minute. Uh, you got any last thoughts that you want to share just on this day and, and, uh, and moving forward? Uh, what do you see? Well, I, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm hopeful because I know our people are um, – fighters for liberation and uh, resistors of oppression. Um, again, it may not be in a sustained way, but we always rise to the occasion. And, and I'm confident that we will in the spirit of brothers like Dr. King. Okay. I'm hopeful as well. I, I just challenge all of us that when we talk about the legacy of Dr. King, uh, that we don't sanitize it, that we tell the story as it, as it really is meant to be told, that we represent the fullness of, of his legacy, the fullness of the actions that he took to liberate our people, and that we be appreciative of the, the ultimate sacrifice that he made on behalf of those who uh, needed him the most. Okay. All right, uh, Brother Lance, Brother Lionel, I appreciate you all both uh, being here, sharing your perspective on this day. Uh, and pray for your continued success uh, because it's a collective effort. Absolutely. Right. Thank you, brother. Thank, thank you for thanks, having us, brother. Th- thanks Salam for alaykum. having us. Assalamu <laughs> alaikum. Assalamu alaikum. Alaikum assalam. All right, Radio Islam family, uh, we have come to the end of another another wonderful show. I hope that you all uh, have enjoyed it. Um, you can look for it on what was it, SoundCloud. Yeah. Look for it on, look for it on SoundCloud. Uh, it'll be up tomorrow. Uh, we want to thank, first of all, our engineers over at WCEV. Uh, Ramon, thank you very much, sir. Um, I'm your host, producer, and in-studio engineer. I did all, I did all tonight. Well, not at all. I, did, I didn't do it all. Uh, but it's me, Tariq el Your executive uh, producer is Abdul Malik Mujahid. Uh, we want to remind you that the views expressed by the host and guests are theirs and are to be taken as representative of Sound Vision, Inc., Looking forward to getting back with you tomorrow. Uh, let's see. Well, I will tell you who we have tomorrow, but you'll wait for it. It's a surprise. <laughs> so have a great evening, Radio Islam family. I'm going to leave you as I greeted you. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you.
Thank you.